Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I love some of the songs that we sing for invitation have some awesome messages to them. And uh, that's one of them. And uh, I, I think of uh, Peter uh, when I hear that song. And uh, Peter was walking on the water. And uh, when he took his eyes off Jesus, that's when he began to sink. And, uh, and I'm so grateful that even though he did, the master reached his hand down, picked him up. And uh, I'm glad our, our God loves us that much. And, you know, it doesn't matter what goes on in this world. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, and we'll be okay. Uh, the things of this world will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Acts chapter 4 tonight is where we'll be. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This past Friday night, my voice decided to pack its bags and leave. And uh, so I've been trying to get it back working right ever since. So um, this morning was a little better, and uh, hopefully tonight will be okay. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Verse 31. The Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. What a testimony. Unity. Uh, a bunch of people from all different walks of life now unified under one gospel. That's incredible. That's incredible. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of those things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And dis uh, distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who was by the apostles, uh, was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, uh, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, that's the end of the chapter, but the story continues in, in chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound, uh, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? 
And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down, or then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up, yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Tonight I want to talk about sin in the early church. Sin in the early church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, bringing us through it. Lord, thank you for bringing us all here tonight to assemble, to hear from your word, and Lord, to honor and glorify you. I pray that that would exactly be done tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd change us through the reading and the preaching of your word. I pray that, uh, Lord, that our lives would honor and glorify you. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with your spirit tonight. Lord, from this passage, sin in the early church, I pray, Lord, that you teach us exactly what you want to, and may our lives be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, reading through the book of Acts is a very interesting book to read. Uh, In fact, I was told in college, one of the things you don't do when you read through the book of Acts is, is you don't build your doctrine off the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is a transitional book from uh, God setting aside Israel and God now... Uh, fully engaged in the church doesn't mean that God has uh, that God has cast off Israel forever. We see that in Romans uh, chapter uh, chapter eleven. We see that God's not cast off Israel; He set them aside for the time being. And His main agent of getting uh, His name throughout the world is the church. And so, the Book of Acts is a transitional book, and we see some things in the Book of Acts that we don't see today in the church. And one of those is is here in Acts chapter five. Um, and we'll get to this in, in just a bit. Well, we don't see, uh, when, when we walk into the church, and I, I know if you're like me, there's been many times I've walked into the doors of the church and there's been sin in my life. And I'm glad that God has given me grace and that God has not struck me dead at the moment uh, because Lord knows there would have been many times that would have happened. And so uh, we're going to look, though, at some principles that I believe God wants to show us uh, from this passage. The first thing I, that I want us to see tonight is actually prior to chapter 5. It's what we, what we read in chapter 4. And that is the generosity of the believers. The generosity of the believers. Um, these believers were in, incredible. They were absolutely incredible. The, the sacrifices that they made, the things that they gave up, the possessions that they sold. Uh, and I want you to notice, first of all, that there was a desire to give. There was a desire to give. By the way, when we got saved, there should have been, should have been a change of desire. There should have been a change of desire. The things that were dear to me, I now count loss, right? Paul said that as well. He said, those things that were gained to me, I count loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Paul's desire changed when he got saved. Our desire should change as well the moment that we get saved. And of course, it's a continual process. Does does every person who gets saved automatically lose the desire to drink and lose the desire uh, to, to, to commit any type of sin? Not in every case, but it should be a, a, a continual process. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are a new creature, that old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things are become new. When the Bible says we're a new creature, it literally means a new creation, that God has created us a new person. And so we should be different than, uh, than we were before we trusted Christ as Savior. Um, by the way, let me point out here that you will never, ever regret giving to God. You will never regret it. 
There's not been one time, now maybe at first, maybe at first, right, we, we, we put that offering envelope in the plate and we're like, uh, okay, and then we let go and there's no getting it back, right? You, you can't say, oh, God, I'm going to take that one back. Uh, no, sometimes we're a, little, we're a little hesitant at first. Sometimes we lack the faith. Uh, we, we need Christ to help our unbelief. And, uh, but, but you know what? I've never sat down in, in, in my, uh, in, on my couch at night and said, you know what? I wish I could have that money back. You know, every time a missionary gives a presentation and I see where my missions dollars go and the people that are saved because of what we as a church have given to those missionaries, I think, man, that's a worthy investment. That's a great investment. There was a desire to give and, and you'll never regret giving to God. These people who had just brand new baby Christians saw the necessity to give. And they had a desire to do so. Uh, Jim Elliott, a missionary martyr uh, to the country of Ecuador, said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that's so important. And, and that's so important when we live heavenly-minded that we understand everything in this life. Sure, we can, we can possess it for this life, but it's going to burn up and pass away. And we're not going to take it with us. And so he is no fool who gives those things that he cannot keep to gain the things that he cannot lose in heaven. And man, I tell you, Jim Elliott lived that out, and we should as well. Uh, the, the head of Kraft Cheese Corporation, J.L. Kraft, said this, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. You can never outgive God. And God's, those things that we give to the Lord's work will always reap greater rewards than we could ever reap on this earth. So we see the desire to give. How's your desire to give? I hope you have a desire to give. I, I, I hope you're not stingy with your money when it comes to the Lord's work. We should be generous in our giving. But notice, secondly, there was the dispensation of grace. Now, as these believers gave, God gave them great grace. In fact, look at verse number 32. Uh, sorry, verse number 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. As these people gave, and as these believers sacrificed, and as they saw the need for the gospel to get out to the entire known world at that time, God gave them great grace. God gave them incredible favor. Uh, I don't know about you, but I would rather have God's favor on my life than to have a bunch of possessions. I would rather be able to lay my head on my pillow at night and have a clear conscience and know that God's favor is on my life uh, than to have a bunch of things that really don't matter for eternity but not be able to rest my head at night. Uh, someone once said this, that the, the softest pillow is a clear conscience. Is a clear conscience. Having God's favor, knowing that it is well with my soul. Great grace was upon them all. Now, I've never met anyone who again, who surrendered all, who regrets that they did. I've never met a missionary, I've never met a pastor who's living for the Lord, who's surrendered all, who's given up so many things to do the Lord's work, who says, you know what, I wish I could take it back. In fact, quite the opposite. I've met many who said, I'm going to hold it all, and at the end of their lives, they say, you know what, I wish I would have given everything to the Lord. I've never met anyone who surrendered all, who regretted it. Why is that? Well, I believe, first of all, that the blessings far outweigh the sacrifice. The blessings far outweigh the sacrifice. Um, you know, I'm not talking about monetary blessings. I'm not talking about 
I'm not talking about possessions that the Lord wants to give to us. And no doubt he's blessed us with a lot of things that we enjoy material. But I'm talking about things like a clear conscience. I'm talking about the peace of God that passeth all understanding. I'm talking about the, the, the souls that we see saved. God wants to bless our lives that far outweigh the sacrifice. Luke, uh, in, in, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Uh, good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For, he, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And so the blessings, I've never met anyone who regrets giving all because the blessings far outweigh the sacrifice. But also, lasting joy and contentment are not found in possessions. And we find that, that when we give up something that we once held dear, something that was temporal, something that was earthly, something that was material, that when we lose it, you know what? It may hurt in the moment, but we find that we can live without it. We find that life continues on and we're just fine. Because true joy and contentment are not found in material things. They're found in eternal things. 1 Timothy 6, 6, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Philippians 4, 11, Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Uh, Brother Lepra shared with us that he's going through contentment with his Sunday school class. I really wish I could be in that class because if there's one thing I could learn in the Christian life, it's how to be content. I think we all could learn in that area. Uh, I think we all struggle walking through Best Buy and, man, 70-inch TV? Oh, $6,000. I can't. I can't. Oh, 24-month financing. I can do it. You know, uh, I, we, we walked in there and there's the, the big TV in that, that, that dark room where they have all the sound systems and everything. It's like 8K, but it's like $8,000. Uh, I can't, I can't fathom spending that much on a TV, but we, we struggle with contentment, right? We struggle with, we see billboards and we see advertisements on our phones and on TV and I've got to have it. But no, God says godliness with contentment is great gain. Covetous, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Covetousness robs you of your possessions. It robs you of the things that you already have. You get your eyes off of what God's already given you, and you get your eyes focused on so many other things. You want this, and you want that, and pretty, pretty soon, the things that you thought once were great that you have, yeah, they're not so great anymore. I mean, you still have the first iPad that was ever made? You, you don't want to upgrade? You still have the iPhone 4? I met someone a while ago that has an iPhone 4. Incredible how it's lasted that long. But you know what? We, we, we get our eyes off the things uh, that, that we have. But co- contentment possesses you with the things that you already possess. It gives you, it, it helps you find joy in the things that God's given to you. Paul said, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. I'm going to enjoy and be content with, what's God, with what God has given to me. But also, I want you to notice thirdly that the, the distribution of the goods. Now, why was it that these new believers had the instinct to give generously? We're talking about people who sold houses and sold lands and did not keep the equity. They did not keep the price. They gave the entire sale of that land or of that house to the church. I've met some people who've sold cars and given to the church. I've met some people who've sold boats and given the money to the church. I've never met someone who sold 
an entire house and land and given that price to the church. I mean, in my mind, where are you going to live? You know, where are you going to have your cattle here in Texas? You know, um, where are you going to have your things? Right. But I remind you that Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. But you know what? He lived 33 and a half years on this earth. And he did just fine. Uh, and people turned away from him because of that. These believers were serious. But why? Well, I think, I think first they saw the needs of others. I think they saw that there were people in the church who didn't have some things that were necessities in this life. And so they said, you know what? We're one spirit. We are one church. We're one body. I'm going to do my part to provide the needs of the people that I'm now a part of. There was a unity in the church and they saw, hey, my brother has a need. Their car's broken down. What can I do to help meet that need? Hey, hey, I I, I see uh, that, that they're struggling. They don't have food. And how can I meet that need? And so maybe they didn't have money, so what did they do? They sold, car, uh, they sold houses, they sold lands, they sold cattle, they sold possessions so that they had a way in which to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we should be there for each other to help take care of each other. Uh, this, is, this is the community that God would want our church to be. We, we, we shouldn't be relying on the government to provide the needs that we have. It should be the responsibility of the family and the church. That's what God instituted. And we see in the book of Acts that this is God's pattern for providing for the poor, is through the local church. But then we see also that they saw the need for the gospel. I believe they gave because the gospel needed to go forward. Where were the apostles going to get the necessities that they needed. Where were the apostles going to get food and clothing and shelter and things like that? It had to come from bringing all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. They saw the need for the gospel to go forth and they said, you know what? If, if I, it doesn't matter if I have houses and if I have lands, those things are going to burn up one day. But what does matter is that there's people lost and dying all around me who are going to hell. And if If I don't give up the temporal, they're going to suffer eternally. And that was was a a real thing for them. Uh, Paul said this in Philippians 4, 17, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He was grateful for the gifts that were given to him because he wanted fruit to abound to the account of those who gave. You know, I think it's shameful that there are missionaries that travel for three or four years trying to get a few thousand dollars to get to the mission field. I think it's shameful. Can you imagine if, if we all, and I'm, I'm talking about myself included, if we all said you had, had the mentality of these new believers and said, you know what, I'm not going to live for the temporal. I'm going to live for the eternal. And, and we, we, we gave up some cups of coffee at Starbucks. And we gave up some trips to the restaurants and we, we gave up some possessions and we had some yard sales and maybe we sold that extra car that's fun on the weekends so that some missionaries can get to the field and tell others how they can miss hell and go to heaven. I think it'd be worth it. I think it'd be worth it. I think God would bless our church if we did so. So we see the generosity of these new believers. Incredible. Incredible. Unparalleled to churches that we see today. And just being honest. Many of them, 
sold entire things so that the gospel could move forward. But secondly, in spite of all these great things that the church was going uh, was doing, secondly, I want to I want you to notice the deception of Ananias and Sapphira, the deception of Ananias and Sapphira. Now hold on, when the church is being used of God to do great things, you better mark it down, Satan is going to try to destroy it. Satan is going to step in, Satan's going to do something, he's going to to wreck and ruin and destroy a life, he's going to try to when he sees the work of God going forward. Why do you think great men of God fall? Why do you think pastors fall? Because Satan hates the work of God. Why do you think he gets your family divided? Why do you think he gets your kids' hearts turned away from you and turned towards Hollywood and turned towards a a, a relationship? Because he hates the work of God going forward. We see that here in chapter 5. I keep in in mind, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You better be careful. See, sometimes when we have great victories as a church, we tend to, to, to kind of relax and kind of enjoy the victory. And no doubt we should. But we forget that there is still a roaring lion out there who wants to devour us. This is a busy time of, of the year. October is the busiest month of the year. Don't get, don't get lazy. Keep at the work. Don't get caught up in the victory that we had this past weekend. We still have more victories to win. Don't let Satan get a stronghold in this church after a great victory. So I want you to notice, first of all, I want you to notice their partial commitment. Ananias and Sapphira. Now this couple, they saw everything that was going on. They saw these people selling houses and lands and bringing the price of those things. And this was a great time in this New Testament church. And I believe Ananias and Sapphira in their heart of hearts, wanted to get involved. They wanted to get involved. They wanted to be part of all the great things that God was doing. But I think they made a mistake. They made a huge mistake. And that is while they wanted to get involved, they still had their hand held on to their possessions. They kept back part of the price of the land. They kept back part of it. Now, had they given it all? No issue. We know the story. Had they given it all, there would have been nothing to lie about. But they kept back part. And you know what was the second mistake they made? I believe they were trying to do this to be seen of men. Clearly, they lied about it. They were deceptive about it. There was a partial commitment. Someone once said this, you cannot outgive God. F.B. Meyer said this, He is the richest man in the esteem of the world who has gotten the most. He is the richest man in the, in the esteem of heaven who has given the most. Can I encourage you, if God puts a number on your heart to give, don't keep back part of the price. Don't say, God, well, I can't really afford to do that. So, you know what? I still want to be involved. I don't want pastor to see my tithing record and to be ashamed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still give, but not what you want me to give. <clears throat> so I notice their partial commitment. But notice, secondly, their pious deception. <clears throat> their pious deception. Now, 
I believe that Ananias and Sapphira were, an, were a perfect example in the New Testament church of what the Pharisees were in the day of Jesus. And that they wanted to do good, they, they, they wanted to, to serve God, they wanted to do the right thing, but they did it to be seen of men. They did it to be seen of men. Uh, we know in, in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus said, Do not thine alms in front of men, uh, to, to be seen of men. For basically saying, when they see you and they, they glorify you, that's your reward. Saying, but do, do them in secret, where God sees, where, where God's the only one that knows. In fact, he says to really make an effort to make sure nobody sees, make sure nobody knows. So, some, of the, some of the greatest offerings, and please... please understand when I'm saying this, I'm not discounting anyone's offering, but some of the greatest, I, I love to see some of the offerings that are given where it's written anonymous on it, that nobody wants the credit for it. Nobody wants their name across a building. Nobody wants their name on a, on the sidewalk outside, or nobody wants recognition for it. That's, that's awesome. I think that somebody would be willing to give thousands of dollars and not want a name attached to it. Christ commands us to do that because we're not to, to be do it to, we're not to do it to be seen of men, but to glorify and honor God. And that's the purpose of it. So their pious deception, we must be careful in our motives that we do, that what we do is not for the gaze of man, but for the glory of God. That what we do is not for the gaze of man, but for the glory of God. I would say that deceptive living, in other words, what what, what do we mean by deceptive living? I, I mean that 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 we're we're we're, we're doing what we're doing so that others can look at us, but really in our heart of hearts, we're not that person. There's something wrong inside. We, we come to church, we put on the suit, and we put on the nice dress, and we put on the nice clothes, and we do the right things, but in our heart of hearts, we're doing it so that others can see us, and we're doing it with the wrong motive. I believe deceptive living is a major problem in our churches today. I really believe it is, and I believe that's one of the reasons God's hand is not on many churches, is because they're doing it to be seen of men. I believe Ananias and Sapphira sinned because their motive was wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't have lied about it. There was no reason to lie. Nobody was going to, nobody was going to judge them for, for, for keeping back part of the price. In fact, Peter says it, it here, he says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? It, was, it still belonged to them. They didn't have to give it all. But they said they did because they wanted to be seen of men, and they lied. When you live to please man, you will find it difficult to please God. Ananias and Sapphira clearly did not please God because they had an attempt to please man. And it cost them their lives. I want you to notice, thirdly, their permanent demise. God struck them dead because of one lie. God struck them dead. He killed them. Because of one lie. Now, so often we think, well, it's just a lie, right? Maybe we said that when we were kids. It's just a lie. You know, it's just a little white lie. God killed these people because of one lie. I'd say God takes sin pretty seriously. I'd say God takes sin in his church pretty seriously. God did not wink at sin. He did not excuse their sin. He did not withhold the consequences of their sin. Now, I'm so glad that as Christians, we have been saved and 
I'm glad Ananias and Sapphira, it, it, it would seem from this passage that they were a part of this church and that they were believers. But that did not, that did not excuse them from the consequences of their sin. And neither will our consequences be excused for our sin. Of course, we do not see this blatant, uh, the, the, the blatant consequences of sin today that we see here in Acts 5. But I do believe that God was sending a message to the church. Just because this is the age of grace does not mean I'm going to excuse sin. Does not mean I'm going to allow it to go unpunished. And so we see their permanent demise. Lastly, tonight, I want you to notice two things. The message from the graves. The message from the graves. Now, what do Ananias and Sapphira's actions here, what do they say to us? I believe, first of all, that God sees the heart. Now, there was no way that Peter and the disciples knew that Ananias and Sapphira had kept back part of the price. There was no way for them to know that. I believe that the Holy Spirit... And, and, and Peter were in tune with each other and that Peter was sensitive to the Holy Spirit and that the Lord miraculously, miraculously spoke to Peter about this issue. And that leads us to this point that God sees the heart. That while I can show somebody one thing, God knows the truth on the inside. God knows what's really going on when the door is closed. God knows what's really going on in my heart. And we know our heart. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. God knows our heart. So God sees the heart. So we can deceive others. By the way, we can lie to others. But Peter said, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And we can deceive uh, our wives, and you can deceive your husband, and you can deceive your boss, and you can deceive your pastor, and you can deceive your friends, but there's one person you cannot deceive, and he's the one that sees the heart. He's God. First Samuel 16, we see, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. By the way, God's majorly concerned with what's in our hearts. Because what's in our hearts eventually is displayed in our actions. God's very much concerned with what's in our heart. By the way, this was revolutionary in Jesus' day. Because the Pharisees were all about the outside. But Jesus came in and he said, hey look, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed the act already. If you hate a brother in your heart, you've committed the act of murder already. Jesus was very much concerned with the heart. Um, David said this, But thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He also said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And we see the second lesson that God, I believe, wants to show us tonight, is that God still demands holiness. God still demands holiness, even on the inside. Even on the inside. <clears throat> God demands holiness. In Romans 6, we see this. That Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? <clears throat> Excuse me. My throat's about to pack its bags again. 
how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God still demands holiness. I'll wrap it up here because I have to. Um, God demands holiness. God separated us as his church to be a peculiar people, to be a holy nation. And I believe God is sending this message here in Acts 5. Listen, just because your sins have been forgiven doesn't mean you can go out and do whatever you want. We shouldn't have that desire. We're saved. We should want to live for God because of what he's done for us. God demands holiness. We see sin in the early church. Are you a generous Christian? But be careful in our generosity and our work for the Lord that we're not doing it for the, for the, the praise of men, but that we're doing it for the glory of one. We, we have a work to do. Let's do it with the right motive. Understanding that while others may not see our hearts, God does. And that he still demands holiness, sinlessness in his church. Let's pray this evening. Father, we thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for Acts chapter 4 and 5 and what it teaches us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight, even now. Lord, if there's any, anyone that needs to make anything right with you tonight, I pray that they would do so. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.